So I want to tell you a story uh, that I heard about um, recently. There's, I think it was in like 2015, um, the Washington Post did an experiment in a metro station in Washington, D.C. And they had um, a man named Joshua Bell, who is a world-class violin player, come and set up in the, one of the... Um, was in an arcade in, the, in, in one of the metro stations. And he, he set out his, his violin case and he played the violin for about 45 minutes during rush hour. And they recorded that, I think it was something like 1,096 people walked by during those 45 minutes. And they, they videotaped it. It's fascinating to watch because um, here is this man who is largely regarded as one of the greatest violin players in the world. And he is... Um, playing, one of the pieces he played is considered the most difficult piece of music in the world. He's playing it on a three and a half million dollar violin um, in a metro stop, and only one person stops and knows who he is. Um, there are other people who stop to people who stop for a little bit. Some people, like about twenty people, drop money as they're walking by. He ends up. Uh, I think it's like 32 bucks from this. Where the night, two nights before, he played in Boston in the, the cheapest seats, sold out show, cheapest seats for $100. And the reason I tell this story is that um, it's a fascinating experiment to see that often we don't see, right? There's this, this, this musician who's one of the greatest musicians in the world playing music in a public place. And because of where it is and when it is, um, people just don't see Right? They pass by him and they don't see him. They don't know who he is. They don't think to recognize. Um, they don't see him. They don't recognize him. Think that maybe he's just a random street musician. And this raises an important question for us to consider. How well do we see? How well do we actually see? And do we see things clearly? Like if you were to be one of those people walking by that match, it's easy to think like, oh yeah, I totally would. I'd see him. He's a musician. I'd, I'd be able to pick up that it's an amazing piece of music. Probably not, though, right? Like, you'd probably be like, oh, there's another guy playing violin. I need to get where I'm going. Um, and just that question, like, how well, how well do we actually see? And often, the reason I tell you that story is that often we can be looking at the same thing and see different things, right? One person can walk by that musician and say, oh, it's a, he's a busker. Doesn't need my attention. And another person can know who he is and stop and say, I'm getting a free concert from one of the greatest violin players in the world. Um, sometimes, in the case of Joshua Bell, it's, uh, it's a relatively insignificant thing to not be able to see. But other times, when we don't see things as we should, um, and we see things wrongly, um, it, it matters more. So this semester, if you've been with us, um, if you're here with us for the first time tonight, we're so glad to have you um, here with us. And this semester, what we've been doing is we've been looking at questions that Jesus asks in the Gospels. And uh, this is a, f- a fascinating thing to me that Jesus asks so many questions because um, the Bible claims that Jesus is God and God coming to the earth didn't just come and pronounce things, but he stepped into people's lives and he asked them questions. And this has something to say to us about who is this God of the Bible that actually um, wants to know us and to draw us out of ourselves. Um, and tonight's question is this question, do you see this woman? And what we're going to see is Jesus invites us to look at a woman in the story um, that we might see more clearly. So uh, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. It's on the board, on the screen. It's also on your handout if you want to follow along there. This is God's word for us tonight. Um, It is completely true, and he gives it to us in love. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. 
And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And look, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Um, So uh, when I went to college, I went to Tulane University in New Orleans in the fall of my senior year, Hurricane Katrina hit. So this is fall of 2005. And Tulane shut down for the semester. And I'm from Virginia, so I went home to Charlottesville and enrolled in UVA for the semester. And um, it was great. They just asked on the phone, because all of our records were underwater, and said, are you in good academic standing? And I said, sure. And they let me into UVA for the semester. Um, And I remember that I was at a football game that fall, and I think it was either late September, early October. I was at this UVA football game, and I saw a guy in a seersucker suit at the game. So at UVA... 15 years ago, people dressed up for games. Um, There's a guy in a seersucker suit, and I remember being disgusted with this guy, Um, right? It's after Labor Day. Like, what is he doing wearing seersucker? And so I turned to a friend, and I said to him something like, I want to pee in that guy's shoes. This is absurd 21-year-old John talking, Um, right? What a ridiculous response, because I was so appalled that this guy was wearing seersucker after Labor Day, I was going to teach him a lesson. Um, Isn't that weird? Isn't that ridiculous? Like, this was one of my rules. This was one of my rules when I was a college student. And we all have rules, right? We all have rules that we we hold on to and we judge others by. Um, A student last year told me that uh, for him, having an Android phone was not an option. And I said, why not? And he said, well, because... Uh, if you're texting a girl and she sees your text come up green and not blue, she won't waste her time on you. Um, this was this guy's rules, um, right? Some of you are laughing because you're like, yeah, I'm not wasting my time on him. Are you kidding me? Um, right? We all create rules. Some of these rules can be trite. Some of our rules can be trite, like appropriate seasons to wear particular clothing or what type of phone you use or like a new one that I'm, you know, whether or not you drink White Claw, like that's a a new rule that people have. Um, They can also be around people that you associate with. Like, you can set up, like, I go to frats, I don't go to frats. 
or um, I really love sports and I don't associate with people who don't, or like sports are not my thing and I stay away from people who are obsessed with sports. Like we all do it. We all use and create rules. And then what happens is our hearts use the rules that we create to judge others. Um, We use our rules as lenses through which we see others. And Jesus shows us in the story that when we do that, we actually see people wrongly. So in our passage, Jesus is invited to a dinner party at Simon the Pharisee's house. And the the houses of well-to-do people in the first century um, in Palestine were built um, like a square, like a hollow square where the the house was around an open courtyard. And in the middle of the courtyard, there would have been a fountain or garden. And then in warm weather, that's where people would have their meals. And um, when there was a a big event meal, the, the invitation was open. So it would not just be the invited guests, but everyone from the town would be allowed to come and sit around the table. And especially when a rabbi would come, like Jesus would come to a meal, people would come because they'd want to hear what he had to say. So they'd come and, and sit around and listen to what he had to say. And in the first century Palestine, the way that people sat at a table is they don't sit at a table the way that we do, but um, there was a low table with low couches and they would, they would lay down and prop themselves up with their left arm. They would recline and eat with their right hand, and sort of like spokes on a wheel, their feet would face out away, would face away from the table. And they'd actually take their shoes off when they'd eat. So they'd be laying, reclining at the table around a central table on low couches. And so Jesus goes to this party. And then in verse 37, we're told that we're told to look at this woman. We're given some detail about here about her, that she's a sinner. Um, she's a woman of the city, which means that she was probably a prostitute. And then when she hears that Jesus is eating at Simon the Pharisee's house, she shows up. And we can assume that Jesus was eating close to the doorway because as he begins to eat, the woman enters and begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. She lets down her hair. She kisses his feet. She washes them with her, with her tears and her perfume. And Simon sees this. And then he says to himself, either it's in his own mind or it's under his breath, but he says it to himself, if this man were actually a prophet, he would know what type of woman this was. For she, he would know who's touching her for him, for she's a sinner. Basically he's saying, does Jesus not actually see? Like, can't he see who this is? If he knew what kind of woman she was, he would not be letting her do this. He would not be letting her associate herself with him, and he would not be associated with her. And then we see that Jesus answers him and calls him by name. Um, I think as an aside, I really love this detail that Jesus knows what Simon is thinking, right? Simon speaks to himself and Jesus answers him. Um, Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. He can read his thoughts. And just to encourage you, if you ever wonder if God hears you when you pray, he does. He does hear you when you pray. He hears you when you, when you think. Um, I hope that encourages you. It might scare you a little, um, but I do hope it encourages you that he hears you. And then he responds to Simon with this simple parable. Simple parable. Moneylender has two debtors, one who owes 500 denarii and one who owes 50 denarii. Now, denarii was about one day's labor, um, the payment for one day's labor. And so we could say it's approximately one person owes $50,000 and one person owes $5,000. And when they can't pay, the moneylender forgave them both. And Jesus asked Simon, well, who would love him more? Um, simple parable. Maybe embarrassingly simple parable, but we're told that Simon answers correctly. He says, the one who had the larger debt canceled. So here's what's going on here. Jesus is looking at Simon the Pharisee and he's saying, you're seeing it wrong. You're looking at how much a person owes, but I'm looking at how much they've been forgiven. 
Jesus is saying, you're looking at their deficit. I'm looking at their gain. You're focusing on their debt, and I'm rejoicing in their assets. I think this is an interesting lens for us to use as we consider the ways that we size up and judge others. Because when we say in our hearts or we say out loud or simply say with our body language and our silence, when we say that you're not welcome here because you don't meet my standard, we're looking at people through the lens of their debts, not through the lens of their assets. When we say things like, I'm not going to associate with that person because um, they drink underage. Or on the flip side, we say, I'm not going to associate with that person because they judge people who drink underage. Or I'm not going to associate with that person because they're politically liberal. Or I'm not going to associate with that person because they're politically conservative. Or I'm not going to associate with that person because their life is just too messy. They've gone too far. They've done too much. Um, I just, I can't be around. I don't want to associate with them. Or on the other side, I'm not going to associate with that person because they're too self-righteous and judgmental. They're always looking down on everyone. They think they're better than everyone else. And in both cases, we're wearing the wrong glasses. We're not seeing rightly. We're looking through the lens of how much do they owe rather than Jesus's lens of how much have they been forgiven. And when we look through the lens of how much they owe, we evaluate people based on their deficits and their debts. We create categories and we put people in boxes. You need to see this. We all do this. And when we do this, we're just like the Pharisee in the story. A friend of mine, Brent Harriman, was the, uh, the speaker at our fall conference back in September, so I know a number of you were there for that. And in one of his sermons, he had this great list that he used with us where he said, you might be a Pharisee if, and then gave this list. And I thought this would be really helpful for us, so I emailed him and asked him for it. And so um, I'm going to read some of this for us. And I, I think it's useful for us to consider the ways that this is alive and at work in our own hearts. So he says, You're, you might be a Pharisee if... You might be a Pharisee if the voice in your head is dominated by you comparing yourself to others. By telling yourself that you are not good enough, that you must try harder, that you're judging yourself by your own deficits. You might be a Pharisee if you don't think that you need others, that they, other people only get in the way, that I can do it on my own, I don't need other people. You might be a Pharisee if you look down on others, if you compare yourself to others and you look down on them. Uh, you might be a Pharisee if you create us-them categories. If you say things like, I don't understand why they just can't fill in the blank. Um, you might be a Pharisee if you're unapproachable. Like if, if no one ever corrects you or calls you out um, about you looking down on others. And if or when they do, your default then is to be defensive about it. You might be a Pharisee if uh, you're angry, um, if you're angry all the time. You might be a Pharisee if you take ideas, good ideas that are good for you, and then you make them biblical mandates for other people, like um, how you see politics, or the right way uh, to pray or have a quiet time, or um, spending time with particular people. You might be a Pharisee when you hear of others' wrongdoing. Um, and you respond this way. When you hear of other people's wrongdoing, how do you respond? What is your response? Is it pharisaical or proud? Do you say, I would never do that. I can't imagine what that, that would be like. Or is it humble? Do you say, God help me. Only by the grace of God, that's not me. And his last one is you might be a Pharisee if you lack joy. 
if you're allergic to celebration. And friends, that's what happens when we view people through our own lenses, when we see ourselves or we see others according to debts and deficits. But like a new pair of glasses, we need Jesus to help us to see others the way that he does. So how does Jesus do this? Well, look at what he says to Simon. He doesn't start by rebuking him. Instead, he gives him this parable and he wants Simon to think through this on his own. He wants to show him what he sees, not just to tell him. And Jesus sees the same woman that Simon does, but he views her through a completely different lens, not through the lens of her deficit, but through the lens of her assets, through her love. And then he sets Simon and the woman side by side and shows him what he sees. And Jesus says to him, you are seeing her wrong. You're looking at her wrong. You're seeing her through the wrong lenses. She is not an object lesson for what to avoid, but she's an object lesson to show us the grace and love of God. And so just want to give you some context of what's happening in this scene so we can understand Jesus' comparison. In first century Palestinian hospitality, when a guest entered a house, three things were always done. First, the host would put his hand on the guest's shoulder and give him the kiss of peace. And then when a distinguished guest like a rabbi was present, this was never omitted. It's always done. And then since the roads were these dusty tracks and shoes were merely just soles held in place with leather straps. Um, so always when a guest would come in, cool water would be poured on their feet to cleanse their feet and to comfort their feet. And then third, um, they would be anointed in some way. Either like a pinch of some sweet-smelling incense was burned or a drop of rose oil was placed on the guest's head. And this was just basic hospitality. This is how you were greeted when you came into a home for a meal. And in this case, none of them were done for Jesus. And so this is what Jesus draws Simon's attention to. He says, Simon, you did none of these things, and she did all of them. You didn't offer to wash my feet, and she washed my feet with her tears. You gave me no kiss, and she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head, and she hasn't stopped anointing my feet. And then Jesus reveals to Simon what actually is going on here. And this is what he says in verse 47. He says, the reason that she loves me so much is that her sins, which are many, are forgiven. But he who is forgiven little doesn't have very much love. And by showing us this woman, Jesus is showing us three things. First, Jesus is showing us that when we wear the lenses that focus on other people's debts and deficits, what we're actually doing is we're hiding from our own sin problem. If I can convince myself that that person over there is worse than me, then I don't have to deal with the wickedness of my own heart. And also Jesus is showing us that he alone can forgive sin, right? Jesus forgives her sin, and then this response at the end of the story is, who is this that even he forgives sins? And this is a big deal because the only one who could forgive sin was God himself. And so Jesus is making this claim to be God. Um, right now, actually, starting tonight, we're in the, the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur. Did y'all know that? It starts this evening. And Yom Kippur is a holiday that in, in Hebrew means the Day of Atonement. And um, it's recorded in the Bible in the book of Leviticus. And what it is is the day when God's people would come together at the temple and offer a sacrifice that God would receive for the forgiveness of their sins. So all of the people would come together, they would confess their sins, and then the high priest would lay his hands on a goat, confess the sins of the, the people onto the goat, and the goat would be slaughtered, and they'd sprinkle the blood on the altar. And then that was the system that God set up to forgive people of their sins. And the reason for this is that it shows us a couple of things. First, that God is holy. 
that God can only be approached through a sacrifice. That God is holy, and second, that we are sinful, that we need a substitute, that God's people need a substitute to be with him. And so when Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven, he is saying that he has the authority to forgive sins. He's claiming to be God. And the third thing here is that he's showing us that he's not ashamed to be seen with or to associate with sinners. Like, you got to imagine that the woman's presence at this dinner was incredibly uncomfortable. Like, what would it be like to be associated with a woman like that? Who, who wants to be associated with a woman like that? Jesus does. That's the point of this. Jesus wants to be associated with sinful women like her, which is really good news for us because Jesus gives this woman great dignity. So how do we respond to this story? We want to respond to these three things. The first, Jesus shows us that when we wear the wrong lenses, when we focus on others' debts or deficits, that we're actually hiding from our own sin problem. And when we find this mechanism at work in our hearts, when we begin to judge and cut off people because of their deficits, perceived and real, Jesus says that what you're doing is that you're actually hiding from your own sin. If you hear this story and you identify more with the Pharisee than with the sinful woman this parable, it's because you're avoiding your own sin. Flannery O'Connor, who's one of my favorite authors in her novel, Wise Blood, she has a character um, and she says this about him. She says, there was already a deep black world, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. So if you find yourself identifying more with the Pharisee than the sinful woman, um, repent because the Pharisee is the path to death. Isaiah tells us that Jesus was numbered with sinners. That means that if you don't see yourself as a sinner, Jesus isn't with you. And second, Jesus alone can forgive sin. So what do you do with your sin? When you have an experience of your own sin, what do you do with it? Are you like the sinful woman and you bring it to Jesus? Or are you like the Pharisee and you pretend it's not there? Friends, bring your sin to Jesus. He alone can forgive you. And look at this woman Look at what happens when you know his forgiveness. There's this overflow of love. So the question that you have to answer for yourself is do you want to be so totally forgiven that a completely new way of living is possible? Do you want to be so totally forgiven that a completely new way of living is possible? The only way is to bring your sin to Jesus. And the third thing is that he shows us that he's not ashamed to be seen with or associate with sinners. And y'all, for those of us here who are Christians, um, we must ask ourselves, do we have any relationships with people that aren't advantageous to us? Or do you gain from all your relationships? Do you have any relationships where you love another person simply because they're a person? Where you put your arm around someone and you say, I am proud to be associated with this person. When you do that, is it because that person gives you something? Do you have any relationships that aren't advantageous to you? Uh, a friend of mine told, us, told me a story about a time when she and her, uh, her husband visited the whole, went to Whole Foods to buy groceries um, where they live. And she said that there was a woman out, front of, out in front of the store who was in a wheelchair and she was begging. And um, I, think, I think one or both of her legs were amputated. And um, she was off to the side. It was clear that Whole Foods had said to her, like, hey, you can't be out front. So she was off to the side. 
And so they went up to her and they offered to buy her some food, but this woman said that she didn't want food. She just wanted some money to buy cigarettes, which is fair. They didn't judge her for that. Um, but they gave her all the change in her pocket, in their pockets, and then they went to the store to buy their groceries. And then the husband turned around as if to go grab something from his car. And my friend said that the next time that she saw her husband, she didn't know where he'd went. Um, she would have did her grocery shopping. And the next time she saw him, he was in the checkout line with this woman in the wheelchair. And he had walked through the store with her and down the bath and body aisle. And the woman picked out some body wash and deodorant. And they went to the register together. And my friend's husband paid for the toiletries. And then the woman went on her way. And here's the thing about this. My friend said that the entire time she was watching her husband with that woman, it made her physically uncomfortable. And then when she saw the expensive body wash and the expensive deodorant, that she had picked out, she thought, whoa, isn't that a little nice? Like, doesn't my husband know what kind of woman he's buying this stuff for? But as they walked through the store, as people were staring, as people were embarrassed, he wasn't embarrassed. He was proud to be with this woman. He was proud to care for her and to be seen with her. Friends, look at Jesus with this woman. Here is this ex-prostitute who is making a scene and Jesus is not embarrassed by her. Look at how Jesus treats her. Here's this woman whose life is a spectacle of sin, who no one would be associated with, who'd been cut off from every meaningful relationship, had had every bridge in her life burned, whether she set fire to it or someone else did, and Jesus is not ashamed to be with her. Look at how Jesus loves her. I read a story about a man named Robert Falconer who was the president of the University of Toronto in the early 1900s. 1900s. And the story is that he went and visited a city um, to tell the poor and the destitute of the city about Jesus. That was the purpose of his, his time there. And he read this story to this group of people. And while he was reading, he heard a loud sob. And he looked up and he saw a young, thin girl whose face was disfigured by smallpox. And after he spoke a few words of encouragement to her, she said to him, will he ever come again, the one who forgave the woman? I've heard that he will come again. Will he come again soon? And Falconer replied, yes, child, he promised that he will come back. And then she sobbed uncontrollably again, and she said, sir, can't he wait a little while? Because my hair isn't long enough yet to wipe his feet. Friends, Jesus isn't embarrassed to be seen with you. He knows your sin. He knows the wretchedness of your heart. And he puts his arm around you and he is proud to be seen with you. By showing us this woman, Jesus is really showing us two things at the same time. He's showing us the reality that all of us are far more sinful and broken than we could ever imagine. And that simultaneously in Christ, we are far more loved and accepted than we ever dare dream. He's showing us the gospel that all of us are like this woman. All of us are far more sinful than we can imagine. But in Christ, you are far more loved and far more accepted than you could ever dare hope. Friends, Jesus is showing us that you cannot sin so much as God can forgive. Charles Spurgeon once said that if it comes down to a battle between sin and grace, you cannot be as bad as God is good. I will prove it to you. You can only sin as a human, but God can forgive as a God. Your sin, you sin as a finite creature but the Lord forgives as an infinite creator. And we see this most clearly where we see all beautiful things in Jesus Christ on the cross. 
If you ever wonder how bad your sin is, look at the cross. Because it's my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. And if you ever wonder how much God loves you and whether or not he accepts you, look at the cross. Because it's there that Jesus willingly and lovingly took your sin onto himself and the wrath that it deserved so that he might restore you to your Father in heaven. On the cross, it's there that your forgiveness is purchased and it's there that you will find love, real love. So when you hear Jesus ask this question, do you see this woman? You must ask yourself this question or I invite you to ask yourself this question. Do I truly want to be so totally forgiven that a completely new way of living is possible? Then bring yourself to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story and thank you for these friends in this room. And um, Jesus, thank you for the way that you love, um, that we cannot out your grace. Thank you for your love for this woman. Lord, would you help us to see ourselves like her, that we might know your love, um, experience your forgiveness, and be filled with joy. Um, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.